I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on this week's episode. A win is a win, right, Will? Charlotte, not pretty, but we got it done. Uh, we'll preview the Kentucky game. Big road trip up to Lexington as the Gators get back into SEC play. And we'll wrap up with our first quarter analysis and assessments of each position group on the offensive side of the ball and then the defensive side of the ball. Will, we'll jump right into it, man. We'll jump right into it. You called the Gators Jekyll and Hyde in your article at the end of uh, – well, at the beginning and the end of it, I guess. But uh, in your post-game assessment of the Charlotte game this week, and in keeping with your theme, let's start with the good here. Uh, the defense holds Charlotte to 211 yards, including an impressive 78 yards on 29 rushes. Charlotte 3-for-13 on third downs. Seven of the 11 drives put together by the 49ers were – they, they were off the field within five plays or less. So that's not just good. It's another dominant performance on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think we should let a frustrating night on offense overshadow that. This team is doing something right on one side of the ball. Uh, I think it's going to be a little up and down on that offensive side throughout the year. But if the defense can show up game in and game out playing like this, we got something to look forward to at least every Saturday, Will. Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to understand or hard to get my head around the fact that when the ball gets punted back to the opposition, it's not an automatic touchdown. I mean, last year you sort of mapped out. I think it was like the first four games. It was like ninety percent of the yards that a team could get they got last year. Um, look, Charlotte, I'm not going to write home about that offense. Jalen Jones, I thought when he was in there, actually moved the ball. The fact that they went to the other guy as the quarterback for a little bit in there, um, you know, was a little bit confusing to me. Once they had a guy who was stationary, Charlotte just couldn't do anything. And, and, uh, you know, look, that's like the name of somebody's like nephew or something, right? That gets the job because he's somebody's, it's a little, probably some nepotism going on there for a guy named Trexler to get the job. I'm with you too. I didn't know why they were switching in and out with that quarterback change. I mean, so yeah, I mean, look, I think the defense did really good. I think, I think Castell especially is, is really good. I think Scooby and Shamar are playing really well at the linebacker position. Prince of human Milan is starting to get some pressure up front. We haven't necessarily seen that. They had a great first quarter and third quarter gave up 46 yards total. They gave up a few big plays in between. I think that's going to come back and bite them at some point when they're playing better offenses. But um, look, that's Austin Armstrong's defense. His defense is going to give up big plays and then they're going to put pressure on the quarterback. And as long as they get that pressure on the quarterback, as long as they're holding up in the run game, which is something you said earlier, I think, I think, yeah, you look at this and you say, you can only play teams in front of you. Charlotte and McNeese have been two teams where where the Florida defense has just absolutely shut them down. But that's the expectation, right? The expectation should be that you shut down these teams that are, you know, AAC teams and and uh, FCS teams. And Florida's been able to do that. And look, Charlotte's a better team than than McNeese by far and didn't really do much more on offense than McNeese did. So a good performance by the defense. Um, you know, I, I'm not – Again, it's that it's that old. Am I going to be bouncing my grandkid on the knee? I'm not going to be telling them about the defensive performance against Charlotte, but they go out and put up a defensive performance similar against Kentucky. All of a sudden, you know, Grandpa Will's starting to get a little bit excited about this defense. So it sort of just depends on uh, on how they do as the season moves on. I need I need to like come up with some kind of image of you in a rocking chair. This is <laughs> this is five rocking chairs of a, a Grandpa Will moment here. Yeah, no, I, I don't know, man. I, I hope I hope I hope the Gators put on a performance in Lexington that is worthy of Grandpa Will telling grandkids some stories. Uh let's go to the let's go to the offensive side here. 
Feed two, feed seven. How do we do this week? 16 carries for Johnson for 63 yards and eight carries for 48 yards for ETN. I saw some guy on Twitter go go after you, Will, and talk about, what was he talking about, load management? <laughs> Are we playing 82 games? Is this, like, did Kawhi Leonard show up in our backfield or something like that? It's a 12-game season last I checked, man. I, I, I didn't know we were really having serious conversations about load management for running backs in college football. But, okay, so let's say hypothetically that, you know, ETN, big week last week. Let's give him a few less carries. Johnson can certainly handle the load. All right, like, you're in 24-carry territory. You're in, you're in the ball game there, especially the first half. You were pointing out how few carries each of them had. Uh, Mertz goes 20 of 23. Uh, for 259, one touchdown, uh, and and two turnovers in the third quarter really highlighted a sloppy offensive day overall. So, Will, we ended up settling for five field goals, but the good news, Trace Mack made all five. And I was thinking, when's the last time we had a kicker that made three field goals or more and, and didn't miss a single extra point to go along with it? You have to go back to 2021, Chris Howard against Missouri. Uh, did it on the – I believe that was a road game that year, right? 2021 against Mizzou? Yeah, every other year. So we're away this year. So, yeah, yeah, 2021 at Mizzou was the last time we saw that out of a kicker for Florida. So four chip shot field goals, but a 54-yarder in the mix as well. So, again, if you're looking for some positives out of this game, certainly seems like the kicking game is in better hands with Trace Mack. Yeah, so I don't – but to go back to a point you made earlier, I don't believe in the load management stuff. Montreal Johnson had six carries for 38 yards in the first drive. They put that one home for a touchdown. Not surprisingly, uh, Charlotte is racing up to stop the running back when Arliss Boardingham slips behind him for a touchdown. Very nice play, very nice red zone design. Mm -hmm. They tried it a little bit later, actually, where they tried – they faked screens to both sides and then tried to slip Boardingham down the middle. But they did that on a third down, and it was a little bit more obvious that's what they were going to have to do, and Charlotte was able to sniff it out and, and stop it. Uh, look, the rest of the half after Johnson gets the six for 38, he had two for six, ETN had two for four. So the uh, you know four carries for those guys, not necessarily good enough. One for nine on third down. I have an article that just went up at Read Reaction right now where I'm looking at the third downs. It's a Kentucky preview, but I'm looking at the third down performance for the Gators. And what it really boils down to is, is that they end up in situations where they've had three really good halves where they've converted over 67% of their third downs. Actually they're 12 of 14 in those three halves, one half against Kentucky and then each half against McNeese. And then every other half they've had less than 20% conversions, but it's worse than that. They're two for 28 in those other five halves throughout the year. So 7%. And the common theme is they have, they average 24 rush attempts in a half when they converted an 86% clip and they have 15 rush attempts per half when they converted a 7% clip. And what, what it really, I think sort of boils down to is, is that Graham Mertz is not someone who throws downfield that often because he doesn't throw downfield that often. They're really, they really don't have a very good success rate on third down or on in passing downs. So if you go to college football data.com, they tell it's a 33% success rate, which is bad on, on known passing downs. Where do you want that? Where do you want that 
success rate to be well i mean you want it to be for. i mean you'd love it to be up around 50 percent, but um you know you're talking 45 is probably where you where you really want to get there and they're at 33 percent. Mm-hmm. and what that really means is on a passing down in order to be successful you got to either get it the fourth and one or you got to get the first down they just aren't really converting first downs they're only converting 25 percent third downs against everybody not named mcneese state so just bad overall on third down and so what's happening is is on second down they're really predictable because they have to like so if Mertz comes out and throws an incompletion on first down then they have to run the ball on second down because they're not they they don't believe they can get the first down on on third and 10 that often they were able to do it a couple of times against Tennessee that's why they win that game they were 7 of 8 on third down in the first half and then <laughs> 0 of 6 i think in the second half um and and, you know, obviously the offense stalls there. They only get a field goal. And that was the story in this game against Charlotte. They were one for nine on third down, got down to the red zone a bunch, but got stopped. And even if you go back to the Utah game, it's not that the offense didn't move the ball in that game. It's that they they stalled in the red zone. The first drive, they settled for a field goal. The second drive, they miss a field goal. And then and then they had some long fields, and by then they were so far behind that they couldn't run the ball. And, and Mertz had to throw it, I think, 40 times in that game. So I think – to me, the disappointing part of the offense there, well, there were two things. One, it's disappointing that they didn't get it to those guys because that's the only way they ever convert third downs. The other disappointing part is is that Graham Mertz got punished. Like you're playing a team where Graham Mertz should be healthy. He should be he should have a clean jersey, and he didn't. He got hit quite a bit. There was a time where I thought he might have a concussion. They had Max Brown warming up on the sideline after a hit that he took at one point. And to have him punished in a cupcake game and have him play the whole cupcake game so you don't get any of the backups in to get them real playing time, I think is a problem because at some point this year, if Mertz keeps taking the punishment like he's taken the last two games, I mean, he had the hand that was bleeding and the hand that looked like he might have had a broken finger in the game before. Then then he gets punished in the Charlotte game. I mean, I don't know what we have in Max Brown or Jack Miller if they have to bring in the backup, and neither do you because we haven't seen them. They didn't play much at all against McNeese, and they didn't play at all against Charlotte. So really a missed opportunity for Florida there. Had they been able to put a couple of those field goals in for touchdowns, they could have gotten some of the backups in, got them some experience, and gotten them some real playing time as opposed to just the mop-up time and and second-level reps in practice. Well, something to consider with uh, Mertz under pressure. We were missing a few significant offensive linemen, weren't we, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, you know, Mizuka was out there giving boxing lessons to people. So, um, <laughs> you know, he's got a side, he's got a side gig. Let me jump in real quick for, for people that missed it. You should check out the interview that uh, Will and Dave did with, on Gators Breakdown with uh, Austin Barber. That was a question Will had for Austin Barber. Uh, and Barber wisely gave a, a no comment if if Bazooka had offered him any boxing lessons. That was a good question, Will. Yeah, I mean, so honestly, that's one of the big things here for Kentucky is Florida's getting Mazuka back, but Florida's also getting Aguakin back. And so that's, that's real good, big. Yeah. That's it's it's obviously an enormous part of things. But you know, look, I mean, I can't ignore the fact that Eguikin played against Tennessee and Mazuka should have played against Charlotte, but didn't because he got into a scuffle there at the end. And I can fault Heupel, and I do fault Heupel for a lot of what went on there. But, I mean, you know the minute you put up your Dukes and decide to throw punches that that it's going to be a suspension. And and the fact that Florida held him out for the entire game does suggest that, uh, you know, the, that – they felt like it it deserved more of a penalty than the SEC did. And but hey, we got him back this week. Let's see how it goes.
Yeah, you get a chance to make a statement there, but that could that could have been part of the issue. I, I'm certainly excited to see. Uh, it seems like we'll be back uh, with the offensive line a little bit this week, but much bigger challenge. Let's move on. So we'll close out Charlotte. Hey, Will, at the end of the day, USF last year, you look at that game as the – that was that the week – trying to remember was that the week right after kentucky last year i think so yeah it was just an, a real ugly game real ugly game last year and uh no it was right before kentucky right not important not important anyway <laughs> uh it was after kentucky so was, 31 was, to 28 win after the loss 26 to 16 to kentucky. right after kentucky okay yeah my, my point is with that usf game you walked away from a not really impressive performance against a lower team feeling like, Oh boy, like we're in trouble here. I don't think I feel quite that bad after the Charlotte game. I don't think I feel quite like that. I, the offense did move the ball. They weren't putting it in the end zone. They did move the ball. Uh, I think we have some clear weaknesses with this team, but I, instead of having these, I, I feel like we talk about people are hammering Billy week in and week out about the offensive coordinator position. I, I feel like we talk, we have these big conversations week in and week out about the status of the program. Whereas I, I think this team is who they are this year. I, I think we're going to have, a, we're going to have some ups and downs with this team. This is not an SEC title contender. I know it's early in the season, but I think it's just good to have some realistic expectations for what to expect in terms of limitations especially on the offensive side of the ball and i'm actually what i've seen through four weeks here i'm super impressed with the progress that's been made that seems to have been made on the defensive side of the ball we don't know a lot about tennessee yet so maybe maybe i'm overvaluing that a little bit in my head at the moment i think we'll find out more this weekend but if you would have told me before we get into the kentucky preview that we're going to end September with a four and one record. I would have signed on that dotted line in two seconds, man. I, I don't know what Gator fan wouldn't have a month ago. Well, especially after the game against Utah, right. <laughs> like, to be a three and one, I think we would have uh, we would have said that uh, that we'll sign up for it right now, right? I, I think the Utah game puts a sour taste in everyone's mouth because you don't really know what to expect, right? That was Florida's first true road game, first game of the season, but you expect that a guy like Graham Mertz is going to be able to manage it. We talked a lot about operational excellence being Billy Napier's value prop, and one of the things that I think has people concerned is that that operational excellence still seems to be an issue. There were still 10 guys on for a field goal kick. There were still another special teams play where they had 10 guys where they didn't have a kick or didn't have a punt returner. So, and, and it doesn't feel like, and look, I don't think Napier's going to go throw people under the bus, but it doesn't feel like Napier is giving an answer that really makes sense. Zach Goodall had a, had a had an article sort of detailing that over at Sports Illustrated this week where it was actually pretty aggressive going after Napier in terms of the excuses aren't necessarily jiving with the actual facts on the field. Look, that doesn't – I mean, Napier knows more about football than either one of us does. At the same time, we know a little something about media, and when it comes to dealing with the media, like, you don't have to lie, but – or you don't have to, you don't have to always tell the truth, but when you start lying, that becomes a problem. And so, you know, this idea that, well, we were right on the border of kicking a field goal or they were right on the border of kicking a field goal or punting. That's a unique situation. That ain't unique. That happens in every freaking football game, every season. You should have practiced it. And that should be the answer, right? The answer should be, we screwed that up. We're going to do better. We know, we know we need to do better and we'll fix it. Right. Um, just own it. So, 
just so that so that I think that I think is where people question the program, quote unquote, right? Because you look at it and you go, the the program I was sold was that things were going to be organized, that people were going to be disciplined, that we wouldn't have stupid mistakes out there. And then the Utah game, we saw all that. Now that's been fixed for the most part everywhere except for special teams, right? There haven't been a bunch of false starts. There haven't been like disciplined penalties where they're hitting guys out of bounds. There haven't been any of the Ill- illegal formations where the wide receivers didn't line up properly since that Utah game. And so that I think is one of the things that this Kentucky game will tell us. Like a law, obviously a win's a huge deal here. A loss really is pretty debilitating. But a loss where the team goes in, plays hard, every like has operational excellence, and Kentucky just beats Florida, I think is something everybody can live with. If they go in and they play on the road this time, like they played on the road against Utah, well, now you've got a whole different set of questions all coming back again. So I think in many ways, the way they play in this one might be as important as the result, um, which is goofy, but at the same time, it's sort of what you said. We knew coming into the season that the team wasn't going to win the SEC and wasn't going to win the national championship and wasn't going to make it in the playoff. And so the expectation is we want to see growth. And so if they go out and they lay an egg like they did against Utah, well, then there's been no growth. It's just that whenever we go on the road, we turn into a catastrophe. If, on the other hand, everything is clean, even if Kentucky gets the win, like let's say Devin Leary pulls it out at the end with some, you know, drive with two minutes left and he's able to drive down the field and they kick a game winning field goal or something. And you go, that was a really good game against a really good football team. And, you know, Florida is going to be in every game this year and we can see the progress. Then I think the story is a little bit different. So I, I think a lot of it, you know, we, we deal with narratives, obviously, and I think sometimes the narrative doesn't match reality. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit in, in a little a, while, about, about a few positions. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have that at the end. That's how I feel like I'm 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 cutting into that part of the show. So let me let me cut you off there. Right. We'll get into that a little more at the end. Uh, let's transition into the Kentucky preview here. Uh, you got Devin Leary at the quarterback. You had mentioned him transfer out of NC State. I thought this was a nice addition in the offseason from Kentucky. Last season, he entered into the year leading a Wolfpack program that was really considered a dark horse by many in the ACC uh, that upset Clemson the year before and had a real nice season, but unfortunately a torn peck in an October game versus FSU. Put him out for the rest of the season. Uh, like I said, magical 2021 season, four touchdown passes in that Clemson game and double overtime win. And it completed 73.7% of his throws in that upset against Clemson. 35 touchdown passes, school record, one better than a fellow by the name of Phillip Rivers. Uh, I tried to Google if Phillip Rivers has more kids or school records at NC State. Uh, inconclusive, but guessing school records still, but it might be close. It might be a close number. Um, so he only threw, Larry, only threw five interceptions across 431 attempts. He already has five this season, Will. I don't know what's going on there with Larry, but threw at least one pick per game, including two last week against Vanderbilt. Devin Leary looking a little little suspect early on here with the Kentucky Wildcats. It, it, Liam Cohen, the offense coordinator that was there a couple seasons ago when that offense was playing some good ball. Uh, he's back. So we were expecting a little bit of a, of, of a pickup, but the quarterback position, Will, how are you feeling about Leary so far? 
So, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on Leary, mainly because he's replicating this. He's coming pretty close to replicating the season he had two years ago at NC State in terms of his efficiency statistics, so yards per attempt and those sorts of things. He hasn't been as accurate, so he's only completed 59% of his passes. He was up around 63 or 64 a couple years ago at NC State. Had a little bit of a down year last year at NC State. He's 10th overall in terms of QB ranking in the SEC, so obviously not great. But Graham Mertz is eighth, so it's not like there's this huge separation between those two. Um, the big thing, the big thing for Leary is he's going downfield a lot. Um, so they they are really good at getting explosive plays down the field. They are willing to sacrifice some of the things that you talked about. Now, one of the interceptions, so he's thrown five interceptions. Two of them, the, so I went back and looked at all five on film. One is just a terrible throw where he throws it behind his wide receiver and the DB's just there. It was just a bad throw. Two, I think his receiver cut off routes that he was supposed to run, and and he threw it in a place where the receiver wasn't. And so it just ends up being an interception. So that's a miscommunication. Is that on Leary? Is it on the wide receiver? I don't know, but that actually is transfer portal type stuff. If he'd have been there for three years, those balls aren't getting those balls aren't getting getting um intercepted. And then two are freak accidents. One was like a tipped pass that got uh or no, I'm sorry, one was a freak accident, one was a tipped pass that then got caught by a defense of linemen and he had a guy wide open down the field and then the other one was he threw into what amounted to double coverage because he got the ball out a little bit late and it allowed the defensive back to catch up but he had a touchdown if he made a good throw so you look at that and you go okay like i can uh, most of the interceptions i can make excuses for and honestly if graham mertz was taking 40 yard shots down the field and had a couple more picks i hope i'd be more forgiving about what he's been doing like mertz should only have one interception nothing goes past 10 yards so it should be accurate leary is much more downfield much more taking chances, much more trying to push things. And so I think what's going to happen is, is he gets more familiar with his receivers, more familiar with the offense, more familiar with SEC speed, more familiar with what he's trying to do within Cohen's offense. I think you're going to start to see an uptick in both his completion percentage and his touchdown to interception ratio. The thing for Florida, you got to hope is one, this is the first time he's really played a big time SEC opponent. Cause I'm not putting Vanderbilt in that category. And two, you just hope he, that doesn't click now. Yeah, just, I want right? to be clear. Five interceptions against Ball State, uh, Eastern Kentucky, FCS school, Akron, and uh, Vandy. So so it's not like he's playing top-of-the-line defenses so far. You're right. Maybe taking some shots, transfer, new system, new, new, new weapons he's working with. I get it. The point there – I think the Gators are primed for some opportunities at some turnovers, which we we haven't we've done a lot of things well on defense. We haven't turned the ball over a ton, and you'd like to see a couple of turnovers out of this game uh, that could impact the game. There, stout running game on the on the uh, offensive side here for Kentucky. Still, uh, it's led by Vandy transfer running back Ray Davis, who has 314 yards rushing, five touchdowns on the ground. Great player at Vandy. Uh, I, I thought that was this was another great portal pickup by Mark Stoops and company. Davis is also a threat in the passing game. 10 receptions, 137 yards, two touchdowns. But Will, you mentioned it. I, I this is not this is not your daddy's Kentucky, man. This is a different Kentucky team. If we haven't learned it over and over and over again in the last decade, this isn't a matter of well, the Gators are down and Kentucky's a little better. Kentucky's good. Kentucky's just flat out good. These receivers would be Great in a Gator uniform, too. Barry and Brown, uh, Dane Key, and Virginia Tech transfer uh, Tavian Robinson, who leads a, a team with 16 catches for 283 yards, three touchdowns. 
are arguably Florida's toughest test. I, I think it's pretty clear. You might put Tennessee up there to some extent, but after watching Tennessee, I don't know. They certainly have some weapons, but in terms of the quarterback, I think Leary might be a better quarterback here than Milton. So I, I really think this is going to be Florida's toughest test yet on the in the passing game. Yeah, so I mean, I've been preaching all offseason that that the the profile of Austin Armstrong at Southern Miss is that he gives up a lot of big plays and he gets a lot of pressure, and so the turnovers and the sacks and the explosive plays from a defensive perspective have to offset the explosives that he gives up on offense. And interestingly, when you look back at Utah, they're 121st in the country with only 10 plays of 20 plus yards. Tennessee is 75th in the country with only 18 plays of 20 plus yards. Kentucky's 13th. They have 28 plays of 20 plus yards. They are an explosive. They're an explosive play factory. And so even though they haven't been that efficient, they've been putting up 40-plus points because they get those explosive plays. Florida hasn't faced anybody that explosive. And so this is the question that I have is I thought Austin Armstrong did a really nice job of adjusting what his defense did against Tennessee to, one, sort of prevent those explosive plays, but, two, really do some things that Joe Milton struggled with. I'm curious what he's going to do because the the other theme when you look at the interceptions that Leary threw is that he was under pressure on a bunch of them, and so Florida's going to have to get in his face in order to make sure that he can't that he can't get downfield and can't hit those explosives. I still think they're going to hit him. Barry and Brown, fourteen point three yards per catch. Tavion Robinson, seventeen point seven. Dane Key, fifteen point one. The only guy Florida has who's averaging more than ten yards a throw is Ricky Pearsall, <laughs> and he's caught twenty seven. The only guy they have who has more than ten catches is Ricky Pearsall. And he's got he's got 27 catches. So it's pretty clear where Florida's going with the ball. I mean, you got Eugene Wilson who has 12 catches. He's averaging 8.7. You got Caleb Douglas with 10 catches. He, he's averaging 9.9. Everybody else is like, you know, Jonathan Odom has eight. Then you got four for Boardingham, three for Khalil Jackson, two for Marcus Burke. So it's basically Ricky Pearsall, Eugene Wilson, and the running backs, because Etienne has seven and Montreal Johnson has six. And that's it. So from the standpoint of just if Florida falls behind because of explosive plays, they're in trouble because they're not going to be able to get into a race here. And Ray Davis, you mentioned averaging 6.3 yards per attempt. Justin McLean is averaging 6.3 yards per attempt. And then Demi Sumo only has six rushes, but he's averaging 10 yards a rush. So there are some oppor- there are some Florida probably isn't going to be able to sit back in a cover two shell the entire game. I think Kentucky is going to try to run the ball and sort of force him out of that. Or maybe Austin Armstrong goes in in single high coverage the entire time. But if he gives him cover one, Leary's going to have a bunch of shots, which means you're going to have to get pressure up the middle. So Caleb Banks and Cam Jackson and Desmond Watson and Jamari Lyons and Chris McClellan become critical for what Florida's going to do because they need to push up the middle, both to stop the run, but also to force Leary into some mistakes. Yeah, and we want to see the turnovers pick up. I, I think the defense played great, but it'd be nice to see the turnovers really get going. Will, uh, you mentioned you brought up Ricky Pearsall. Man, I, I don't know how I didn't bring this up, but obviously I, I think it's because I've seen it about 9 million times on, on Twitter for the last uh, few days. But obviously one of the better catches you'll ever see on a football field against Charlotte. That, that, that grab was unbelievable. And I think I've seen people say this 25 times too, which is, why I didn't bring it up, but Beckham didn't have to Odell Beckham didn't have to get hit after he made his catch. That was an unbelievable catch. I'm not sure it was the best throw or the right moment for a one-handed catch, but it happened. And that Jordan logo look alike on the freeze frame. Some of the Getty images shot was unbelievable on that. I, I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm not crediting the photographer. I'm, I'm blanking on who actually took that, but I know it was Getty images. But great shot of Ricky Pearsall with the one-handed grab against Charlotte. 
definitely going to be a legendary photo in Florida football history. And it's the best catch I've ever seen. Um, you know, it was an unbelievable play. Um, but you know, to 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 optimistic will is gone because the season has started, and uh, that ball's through. <laughs> that ball's thrown. Go. That's not that's not how it works, man. That ball was thrown into triple coverage, and Caleb it Douglas was open for a touchdown throw. right down the middle. <laughs> Like, so, so like, I'm happy that the play was completed. It was an awesome play. It's something we'll remember ends up on sports center. Pearsall got a painting. I saw, I saw on Twitter today of it. That was cool. So it, yeah. it's cool that that happened. And if they beat Charlotte by 56, I wouldn't say anything, but the fact that they struggled to put the ball in the end zone, that, that drive stalls with a field goal. And there was a guy streaking for a touchdown right down the middle of the field. In fact, that'll be in my, in the Kentucky preview that's up on read and reaction. You'll be able to see that, that play. Cause you stop it right when he's about to let it go to Pearsall and you go, why that guy's wide open. And you know, when you, it's one of the things that, that concerns me is that Pierce, like I said, Pearsall has 27 catches. Eugene Wilson has 12 and a bunch of those are the little end arounds where they just sort of pop it to him. The next highest is Douglas at eight and then, or at 10 and then Jonathan Odom at eight. So it's Pearsall or bust. He's clearly zoning in on Pearsall. The good news is, is Pearsall is able to get open and able to shake it. But if I'm Kentucky, I'm bracketing Pearsall and I'm making somebody else beat me. And, uh, you know, I, we talk about the turnovers for Leary, but do you really think Stoops isn't going to try to bait Graham Mertz into throwing the ball to Pearsall where there's going to be a lot of coverage where all of a sudden the ball can get tipped up and get picked off. You throw that into triple coverage against Kentucky. They're going to go after the ball, right? Charlotte doesn't make that play. Kentucky's going to make that play. Or Ricky Pearsall is going to scoop the ball out of the out of the air with one hand. Will, how about that? How about that as an option? Optimistic. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to rely on the best catch I've ever seen every week. Like, <laughs> let's let's, let's throw it, hit the guy in stride, and run to the end zone. Like that seems to be a more consistent way to win games and score touchdowns is execute correctly as opposed to waiting for the best play I've ever freaking seen. I might be showing my age, uh, referencing the Debbie Downer skit from SNL, but we need to do that with you. We'll call you Willie Downer, and you can do the yeah. face. I'm telling you, during the offseason, I'm optimistic, Will. I talk it up. I, I end up, uh, you know, convincing myself we're going to play well against Utah. And then I watch the game against Utah, and all of a sudden, oh, he's back. Like, the the critic the critic is back. So, Well, yeah. I, I will say this. We get, we get a couple of big plays against Utah if we, if we can hang in there uh, defensively this time. Uh, I, I do feel like Kentucky and Utah are a little bit – they're kind of if you drew a family tree out, they'd be probably closely linked to Iowa football. I know Mark Stoops is an Iowa guy. Maybe that's why my mind goes there. But stylistically, those brands of football, you have Iowa of the Midwest, Utah's the Iowa, the mountain time zone, and Kentucky might be you got kind of Kentucky, Michigan State was in there for a while. Pitt, you got kind of those programs. Uh play Iowa style football. I, I think Kentucky's in that mix. So probably not totally different in some ways in Utah. So it'll be interesting to see that matchup, but we know Mark Stoops is speaking the Kentucky defense here. Let's get over the defense. Hold on. I I want to address one thing. There is you can't talk about family trees in Kentucky and talk about it forking. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I I usually leave my family tree jokes to between the, (laughs) between the hedges. I Uh, save those for the end of October typically, but 
I would too if we were still on a 33 game winning streak. I was going to say, we've lost three of five in Kentucky. (laughs) So the jokes can start with Kentucky now too. So, all right. So we, we know what Mark Stoops is obviously capable of on the defensive side of the ball. Unfortunately, we've seen it uh, one too many times in the last few years, but up front, uh, JJ Weaver, Want to highlight him? Well, I feel like he's been he's one of those guys that have been there. He's so, been there for a decade. I, I was going to say I wrote down twenty years approximately. He's he's been there for a minute. Deion Walker is a player to, to highlight on the inside for the Cats. A Kentucky ranks seventh nationally in yards per rush, two point three yards per rush. Again, let's read off the opponents there. It's uh, it, it, Ball State, Akron, Eastern Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. So not not uh, totally sold on those numbers just yet. Uh, corner Max Harrison was SEC Defensive Player of the Week and also the National Player of the Week last week. Two pick sixes against the Vanderbilt Commodores in Kentucky's huge blowout victory over Vandy last weekend. So, well, this defense, uh, they certainly got some playmakers on that side of the ball. The one thing you do when you watch Kentucky is, especially when you compare them to even like just pre-stoops like 10, 15 years ago here, I guess Stoops has been there about that long, but they really look like a, they, they just there's NFL players all over all over this field, and so this is a tough matchup. Uh, that, that defense is going to be tough. I I love my feed two feed seven thing, Will, but we're definitely going to need a solid game out of Mertz here to move the ball against this defense, and we're going to need some shots downfield this week. Otherwise, I'm kind of we were texting earlier, and I kind of have the Emory Jones 2021 game in my head where. He was picking them apart like five, seven yards down the field, but we weren't seeing any real shots down the field. And that's my concern with Kentucky. Stoops is great at kind of forcing you into uh, certain situations and then capitalizing on a mistake. And and I, I worry about that this week heading up to Lexington. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida can't win this game if they don't control the line of scrimmage and run the ball. That's just the reality. Kentucky's a more explosive offense. Florida wants to keep them off the field. Florida's offense is not explosive. They're going to have to get in the red zone, long drives, take up a bunch of time, and then they actually have to punch it in. And if they sit there and they they screw around and they end up with field goals and they call quarterback draws from the 12 on, on first and goal, then they're going to be screwed. Like, they have to play a perfect game, just like they did against Tennessee, right? That first half against Tennessee, was almost perfect they get the turnover the defense is playing well the offense was seven of eight on third downs and and it wasn't like they were like oh it's third and three and they get an 18 yard gain or or you know they get a 28 yard explosive that puts them in good position it was like dink and dunk the whole way down the field you i think the longest completion they had on a third down was the 18 yard one to khalil jackson that was almost tipped on the ball that ball that goes down the sideline I did something. They averaged um, they, in that game. They averaged seven point eight yards per to gain on third down, and they gained five point four. And somehow they went seven of fourteen. Mm. And then if you look at the Utah game, ten point two yards to go, they gained three point four. And one of the interesting things there is on three of those third downs specifically, they had a penalty, usually an operational penalty. And then they gained enough yardage on the next play. They would have had the first down if they didn't have the penalty, but, but instead had to punt or go for it on fourth down because they didn't get it. In fact, the only third down conversion they got against Utah was one where it was third and 12. Utah was offsides. So then it was third and seven, and they end up completing a pass to Trey Wilson to get the conversion. That was the only third down conversion they had the entire game. 
All this to say that Florida is going to have to be operationally perfect. You've heard Billy Napier talk about execution. The reason he's talking about that is he can't talk about explosiveness. There isn't any explosiveness unless you get the ball to you get the ball to two and you get the ball to seven, specifically seven. And so, um, you know, that's the thing is against Tennessee, you got the big explosive from ETN to make it seven to six. And then all of a sudden ETN was able to salt away a couple of drives, made a couple more explosives, put them in position for the field goal in the second half with a big time run and big time jump cut. Um, it wasn't quite as efficient in the second half, but you know, he puts up 183 yards or whatever it was, or 173 yards in that one. And Florida dominates the game. That's what they need in this. They need ETN to go for a buck 50. And if he doesn't, they're going to really struggle. By the way, can we, can we talk about Travis ETN just getting shredded on Twitter by, uh, by the fan base, he, Travis Etienne, Jacksonville Jaguars running back, former Clemson great. He's not happy when his brother doesn't get the ball. I, I'm okay with him vouching for his brother, but it is funny. He he, uh, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of pushback. But as a Jags fan, I'd like to say, hey Travis, focus on the Texans, dude. I, I don't know how the Texans always seem to come in and beat the Jags, but. Well, seeing as how uh, ETN, seeing, seeing as how Travis ETN agrees with me that Trevor ETN should get the ball thirty times, a game, we all agree. I'm, we I'm all, all agree it. on that. Travis. Except for Billy Napier, Billy yeah. Napier doesn't agree because he gives gives him two carries every no, first half. The, on the fans, I think the fan base is pretty unanimous in agreement that Trevor ETN needs the football as many times as possible. So, I, I on behalf on behalf of Reading Reaction, uh, Will Miles is not here. Uh, uh, Travis ETN, we we will vouch. For your brother, you don't need to worry about it. We got you nah, covered. Keep doing it. Keep Focus doing on it the Texans, man. Will's a Bills fan. No, Focus keep on doing the Texans it because <laughs> keep doing it because there's nothing funnier than coming in here to do this show with a weepy Jaguars fan because that's really all he's ever known. And so, you know, I mean, no, you got weepy. somebody who who grew up in Columbus pain. and then went to the University of Florida, so has only known like national championships and winning at a college level. And then you're a Jaguars fan. You I deserve lived in it. Jacksonville you just, you for a long time. A I, I, hey, I lived in Jack. I lived in Jacksonville for a long time. I've suffered long enough with the Jags. I I, I get it, but you know, Wrong. not not an awesome look. Not an awesome look when you go to lose to the Texans the next day. So we got you covered on that, Travis. You don't need to tweet about it anymore. We got you covered. All right, let's go to uh, the quarterly reports here, Will, uh, on offense. Uh, we were talking about doing grades, but then I feel like whenever we do grades, it turns into this, like, oh, you gave them a B plus, it should be a B minus. And what the hell does that even mean? So we're going to do uh, exceeds, meets, or below our preseason expectation for each position grade. So do they exceed the expectations? Like if we had low expectations and they're playing – in the in the middle that's exceeding so we're gonna go with that so we'll start i think a good example we'll just jump right in go with the quarterback position with graham mertz i'll lead off will i am not a big mertz guy i, I wasn't stoked about this uh acquisition in the offseason uh i do think there's been nothing but good things said about mertz uh coming into florida uh kind of more of our program talk from earlier i i think i sent you a clip either today or yesterday from uh jd Pakel on on three where he referred to Graham Mertz as phenomenal this season. And I feel like there's – I'm not ready to go. I want Graham Mertz to be phenomenal. I I, I think he's done a, a really good job. I think he's exceeded my preseason expectations. I'm going to say exceeds. The numbers are great. But we don't have a killer passing game, and there's multiple reasons for that. It's not just on Mertz. But I think – if you look at this situation, what Billy Napier has done with Graham Mertz, bring him in here 
and having him just operate this offense as a game manager and not be a high mistake guy. We saw that at Wisconsin where he can have those games where he just falls apart and makes mistakes. I think Napier has done a great job of managing Mertz this season, and I think he's getting as much as he can out of him to this point. Hopefully we can get a little more, but I still think he's exceeded my personal expectations from the preseason so far. I'm not going to give him phenomenal, but definitely better than what I was expecting overall. Phenomenal is ridiculous, yeah. um, but there's nuance here. And and the reality is, is that we, we have not gotten Wisconsin Graham Mertz. We've gotten an improved version of Graham Mertz. And that does mean that he's exceeded my expectations. Now, the problem is, is that now when you really start digging into the numbers, only 9% of his attempts have gone 20 plus air yards. And 36 have been 36% of his attempts have been behind the line of scrimmage. A full 70% of his attempts have been 10 air yards or less. And that means, I mean, you know, like a one yard pass, a three yard hitch, those sorts of things all fit within that definition. So as, as a point of comparison, he's thrown 36% of his attempts behind the line of scrimmage. Definitely Larry's got 18%. So when you look at his completion percentage and go, Merch is completing 78% of his passes. If you gave that same distribution to Leary, where he was throwing screen passes all the time to wide receivers out in the flat, Leary would have a much higher completion percentage. There's some artificial nature to that, especially with some of the little flips to Pearsall and to, and to Trey and, and to Trey Wilson back behind the line of scrimmage. At the same time, look, he's been doing what he's asked to do, right? Yes. And in the Tennessee game specifically, he did exactly what he was asked to do. The team's three and one. We would have signed up for that before the season starts. And so, yeah, I've got him exceeding expectations, but I also have in the back of my head that regression to the mean exists. And at some point, a quarterback who doesn't go downfield is going to be exposed. And so even though he's acquitted him well this, so far this season, I think he has limitations. And we're seeing that limit the Gators offense. And we saw that against Charlotte the other day. Right. But knowing those limitations, again, Napier's putting him in positions to succeed. So I think this has been a uh, positive so far in the early part of the season here. So let's go to the offensive line. I think the offensive line is vital for this team, like any football team. That's not hardcore analysis right there. But last year we saw how critical it was in the running game. Uh, I'm going to go below expectations because I really had high hopes for – you got Mizuka stepping right in. Love the boxing stance. I think the guy was absolutely uh, right to go after – maybe you don't have to throw the punch, but he's, they're definitely right to go after the Tennessee guys after that. So I, I had no issue with the aggression – uh, hey, I thought that offensive line played solid against Tennessee in the biggest game that that so far. That Utah game was uh, was a mess. I I think it's a big deal, I, and this is not even a shot. I think Slaughter's playing fine at the center position. I, I but I think he's a young guy. I think he's getting his feet under him a little bit. We saw Kingsley as a young setter, Kingsley Egwakon, go up to Kentucky. I think he had a couple of false start penalties up there. I think he didn't snap the ball on the right count a couple of times up in Kentucky last time. So center's a tough spot to break into, and we're we're kind of feeling that a little bit early on, missing Kingsley. The one game Kingsley's in, we're looking pretty sharp. Things are cooking. Let's hope that's what it is because that's my expectation. I, I'm below expectations with this offensive line because I have very high expectations for this offensive line. Love Barber. Love a lot of the players, Mazuka we, we, that we brought in. And I really think this offensive line has potential to be very solid as the season goes along. If they can stay healthy, we got to get the five of them on the field at the same time, Will. Yeah, that's really the critical question, right, for the offensive line. They're, they're 96th right now in the country at 3.3 yards per rush. Um, that's against FBS opponents. So that takes the McNeese game out of it. If you look at what they did against Charlotte, 
they only average 3.8 yards per rush. That's where you start to get concerned, right? Is that the offensive line isn't able to push around a team from the AAC. What's going to happen when they play a real team from the SEC? Um, and I'm I'm not putting uh, Tennessee in that role because I think Tennessee didn't really show up in that one. And, and look, Tennessee had a lot of the same road problems that Florida did when Florida went to Utah. I think that's one of the lessons that we learned is that going on the road, especially for the offensive line, becomes a much more difficult road to hoe. And so this is a place where they get to prove it, right? You go out to Kentucky, it's going to be loud. It's a noon game, but Kentucky's going to be revved up for it because they enjoy the fact that they've sort of been able to hold the wins over Florida over the last few years, that the the taunts of basketball school don't hit quite as hard as they as they used to when uh, when I was leaving there in 2012 after I watched Muschamp, or no, 2011, when I watched Muschamp beat them 45-7. to seven. Um, You know, those days are over for, for right now, and Florida's going to have to go out and prove it. And the way they're going to prove it's on the ground, but 96 to 3.3 yards per rush, that's below expectations, man. They were like a top five offense running the ball last year and uh and yeah they're not this year and so yeah i think that's the right call yeah that's a compliment to the offensive line by the way that you're below expectations we have super high expectations of no this i think they'd be below expectations even if i hadn't thought they were going to be very good 96th in yards per rush is pretty bad yeah like that needs to be like top 40 by the end of the year otherwise it's it's a catastrophe for this team they all right so it's a, it's a compliment from me not from will then <laughs> optimistic will's gone man it's Will, the season willie doubter we got it bro we got it. no uh running back I, i'm gonna go with they meet expectations i had high super high expectations for this group as well uh i i fed feed two feed seven i said it at the end of last season too i think these two are excellent backs i i love what i've seen from trey on web early too i know we haven't got to see a ton of him yet uh like i said my only disappointment with the running back so far i think i said this after the tennessee game maybe or after the big i, I forget which game i said it after my only disappointment so far is man i would have loved to see what cam carroll looked in this mix in this backfield because i think billy napier and his staff it just they're special with evaluating running back talent going back to their days at Louisiana. And I think the running back room is the core of this offense and absolutely needs to be involved in, in every single game this year. And I think at times we saw in that Utah game, they let Utah dictate to them. And I know there's going to be matchups where teams come out. I don't care if Kentucky comes up and they line up and they want us to they force us into passing looks. Let's play our game. Let's be that old school team that lines up and punches people in the mouth. We might not be the highest scoring group, but these running backs, they need their carries. And and I think they absolutely have met expectations so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably about right. I, I think ETN has exceeded my expectations. I thought he had an opportunity to be great, and he has been great so far. Montreal Johnson probably a little bit below. Haven't gotten the same explosives that we got last year, only averaging 4.6 yards per rush. Um, you know, he's going to have to pop a few because he he wasn't necessarily the guy who took it to the house all the time last year, but he was a guy who'd get to the outside. You'd end up with a 25, 30-yard mm -hmm. run. We haven't seen that yet this year. Now, part of that is because you don't have Anthony Richardson hold the backside, so the linebackers are able to flow over. But that's all part of it, right? Is that, uh, is that, you know, Johnson ETN is able to get out there and make that explosive happen. Johnson hasn't been able to yet. So yeah, I think meeting expectations probably about right. Let's move on to the tight end position. Uh, I I'm going to go, I'm going to go with meats because I had zero expectations for this group. I had, this is something I wrote about in the preseason magazine. Historically, Billy Napier does not rely on the T tight ends the only reason i'm not going with below is because we've seen a couple of good moments out of tight ends so far odom odom is 
he's one of my guys that I just, I'd like to see Odom get the ball. That guy just lumbers and he'll pick up eight yards. He'll take two steps. It's eight yards. And you're like, wow, he got eight on that. There's a couple of you dump it off to Odom and, and good things happen. Uh, boarding him. That was certainly a nice route. I'd like to see a guy like that. His athletic ability is very intriguing at the tight end spot. I'd like to see him more involved in the offense. I'd like to see tight end in general, more involved in the offense, especially if you're Graham Mertz, and what was that percentage of the time he throws the ball more than 10 yards down the field, Will? Uh, 9% that he's 20 plus. It's 25% more than 10 yards. More than 10 yards. So don't you think a tight end, you can use the tight end inside of 10 yards pretty frequently, like kind of keep the middle of the field nice and warm there for you, Graham. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to see a little more tight end action. But I, I said meets because I had very low expectations for the tight end group coming in in terms of contribution to the passing game anyway uh you know they do they do an okay job in the in the blocking game in the run game too so that's i'll give them meets ex- expectations so far yeah i'm gonna go below mainly because what they do catching isn't really important to me not in this offense it's it's almost an extension of the offensive line and with the offensive line not meeting expectations in the running game i think it's the same thing with the tight ends is that you know i haven't seen a guy like Boardingham or odom or even hayden hansen really paved the way for one of these guys to have a huge run that Hanson, I think came through on the one where ETN made the jump cut and was able to go on, uh, on an explosive against Tennessee. But other than that, um, in fact, I want to say it was Odom who got completely bowled over by a defensive end down in the red zone against Utah. And and there was a sack. Now you can make an argument that you shouldn't have your tight end one-on-one against Utah's defensive end. At the same time, if you're in a one-on-one battle, you at least have to like touch the guy when he tries to come past. So um, I think when you turn on the tape and you look at the tight ends, um, they're doing okay, but it's not it that they're not difference makers, at least not yet. Certainly not in the passing game, but that's not really where I think you grade these guys. I think you grade these guys from the standpoint of can they be enough of a passing threat that they can force the defense to bring in smaller guys that allows them to be more effective in the running game. And they haven't been able to do that yet. So um, you know. I expected to see some guys step up. Boardingham certainly put put a put the fear of God into one of the DBs. I think it was against McNeese, but uh, we need to see more of that. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, they can get there by the end of the year. I don't think there's any doubt. But um, because of the blocking, I think that's where I sort of put them below. Will, Will's referring to Boardingham's truck stick against uh, McNeese State. That was that was an awesome hit by Boardingham. Uh, let's go with the wide receiver room to wrap up the offense here. Will I'm going to go below expectations for the wide receivers to this point. Uh, I love this freshman trio, the the, the potential. Uh, we knew that uh, not all of them were going to hit right away. Uh, we certainly see potential out of Wilson. But we talk about having struggles in the deep, deep game, and we really have not established a deep ball threat on this roster. I think Pearsall is great for the short and the in- intermediate stuff. I don't think he's much of a deep threat. Uh, I know he, he'll get open. He'll work his own sometimes and get down there, but – if you want just pure speed, you look at Wilson's being used as as the de- either the decoy or get the ball to him quick, kind of in that little bit of a Percy role for Wilson. Where's Mizell? Stick him out of the field. Let's get a deep ball. Just take, you should be two. There should be about two to three go routes a game to Mizell. Just chuck it up and see if the guy can run under it. I would love to see that uh incorporated into this offense a little more uh we did see a little more Andy Jean last week so that was encouraging and he, he had a couple plays this past week uh but I I will say this I I want to see a little more from Caleb Douglas we saw a couple uh we've seen a couple plays out of him but we, I don't think we've seen enough out of him so far um Pearsall's been solid but it's just there's not that 
we we haven't seen that game breaker really take over and break through. I know Wilson was looking like that guy before the injury, but we'll see out of this group. I got I got I think there's some playmakers there. We we got to do a better job identifying them. Yeah, Pearsall's been unbelievable. He's on pace for 81 catches this year in a, in a 12 game season. That, that at, at 13.2 per catch, that that's spectacular. So I've got them at, as meeting expectations because of Eugene Wilson. So he's only played in three games, got 12 catches. Obviously, some of those are on the little pitches, but um, but still, I, I wrote an article or an extension of the magazine that we that we put out towards the end, and it was basically like, what do freshman wide receivers provide? And the answer was typically you're looking at a guy who makes like 25, 25 catches is like, like that's a good season. Even Percy Harvin, I think, only caught like thirty or thirty-two balls. Was it thirty-five or something? Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what yeah. it was. But basically, the best player who's ever come through Florida, or at least the best players come through Florida in the last twenty years, is. Uh, um, you know, was was spectacular as a freshman and still didn't put up otherworldly numbers. Wilson's going to catch 40 balls this year, maybe 50, if he really gets involved in the offense. And so I think from the standpoint of like meeting expectations, we've got one of these guys who stepped up as a guy who's going to be a star. Obviously, though, Pierce all leaves next year, so you're going to have to have more than one guy step up. But that's what I expected. I expected one of the three to be a star or at least to step into a role where we could see him as a star. That's what we've seen, so it meets expectations to me. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball here to wrap up. We'll start up front with the defensive line. Will, what do you got? You, you kick off the defensive side. Yeah, I think they've met expectations. I think there have been times where, like I was expecting a huge season from Prince, Prince Lee Human Milan. And while he has been, like if you look at pro football focus and some of the metrics they have, he's been disruptive. He's only got two sacks, three tackles for loss. Hasn't been back there a ton. Um but I think the guys up front, the guys like Cam Jackson and the guys like Caleb Banks have really exceeded expectations. So I think the defense defensive line has met expectations. I think they have an opportunity to get to exceed, and a lot of that has to do with what happens in the next couple of weeks. right? If we can get through the Kentucky game, the Vanderbilt game, the South Carolina game, still talking this way about the defense, it's going to have a lot to do with that front four. And as of right now, okay, they've met expectations three and one. They've made some they've made some plays, but they also weren't really able to affect Utah's quarterback at all. What happens in these next three games, I think, dictates how I'm going to feel about them really all season long. I have them as exceeds expectations. You mentioned specifically Jackson and Banks that up the middle there. Like we've seen these transfers come in and not work out as well as these guys have to this point. I think there's there's definite pressure. Uh, they're not necessarily getting home as much as you'd like to see i agree with you on princely there but he's also princely's had he's stepped up the last he's playing a little better football i I don't think he had a great start to this season uh that utah clip was rough where he was uh loafing a little bit down the sideline that was a little tough to see but other, other than that i think he's had he's started to pick it up a little bit uh but this defensive front has been a severe liability in recent seasons, they've definitely picked up their game. And for that reason, I'm going to say they exceed expectations at this point. Uh, moving on to the linebackers, I'm going to go first because I think you're going to you're going to have a lot to say here. <laughs> how much you love these linebackers. I'm going to go with this exceeds expectations. I'm going to save the Scooby love for you, Will. But just Shamar James has been excellent to this point. He's really taken that next step that you want to see out of a linebacker. And the fact that, I mean, even there's a couple plays last week, we saw nunnery in on some tackles. I I definitely think this linebacker group is at a different level than what we've seen over the last few seasons in a similar vein to the offensive line or defensive line. I'm sorry. 
No, I mean, they've exceeded expectations because Florida has linebackers who now don't scare me. And, you know, even if Scooby Williams wasn't playing fantastic, the fact that he just doesn't scare me at the linebacker position, um, that he scare, might scare the opposition, but he doesn't scare me as a fan, is a major upgrade in terms of what Florida's had at the linebacker position for the last, you know, four or five, six years. Um, Shamar James can be a star if he's not already. I think he might make all SEC this year as, as, a, as a linebacker. If not this year, he's definitely going to do it next year. He's a three and gone guy. Like he's the guy who's going to be in the league after next year. Um, and, and, you know, having an NFL quality linebacker where you can say that where he's a sophomore, that he's going to be in the NFL is something Florida hasn't had in a long time. So, um, you know, from the standpoint of just, we need to keep him healthy. Uh, but even Nunnery and, and Mitchell look like decent fill-ins when those guys go down. Um, you know, Napier was talking, I think today or maybe yesterday about Manny Nunnery um, being the guy who watches the most film and being the most athletic of the guys out there. And considering what we've seen from Scooby and Shamar, I think uh, that says something about nunnery being the most athletic so the athleticism in that room is so much better than it's been before so uh yeah they exceed expectations this year so far they've been great so the defensive backfield uh this was i was probably highest on the d-backs out of the defensive groups coming into the season so i'm going to say they've met expectations to this point I, i think this is a wildly talented group overall young group I'd like to see a few more big plays out of them. We're not, we haven't seen them. I'd like to see them jump around here or there. Uh, I'd like to see a couple more turnovers, quite frankly. I I think this group's capable of it. Uh, We've seen them give up a couple deep balls, but you mentioned you live by the blitz. You die by the blitz a little bit with with Armstrong at times. Uh, I'm not putting too much of a a mark on Jakeem Jackson's record there with the Brew McCoy uh, Heisman pose in his face. Uh, on on that uh, push off for the touchdown in the Tennessee game, that Utah game, mistakes happen here and there. But other than that, it's just they've cleaned they've cleaned up a lot from what we've seen over the last few seasons. You're not just seeing those wide open third downs to the extent that you were uh, really since since really 2020. You you've seen that with the defensive backfield. I, I think this defensive backfield. There's a lot to say on an individual level. There's a lot of guys exceeding on an individual level, but as a unit like to see a few more big plays out of this group because I think they're capable of it. So I'm going to go with meets expectations. Yeah. I mean, I think they exceed mainly because when Jordan Castell was announced as the, uh, as the starting safety for that Utah game. And then on the first play, RJ Moten got burned <laughs> on, a, on a touchdown. It was like, what's going on here? Like, uh, but Castell has proven to be a really, really, really good player. 24 mm-hmm. tackles so far, one, pa- one PBU, one tackle for loss, but really just being in the right place at the right time. He was the guy I think who came down and took away the double slants for Tennessee on a fourth, on a key fourth down in Florida territory in that game against the Vols. So clearly he's out there watching film, knows what he's supposed to do, understands the defense, which, you know, I would not have expected a true freshman to come in. He's going to be an all SEC freshman team, no doubt, if he stays healthy. He might. All American, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so, you know, th- there's, there are. Like if you'd have told me that the safety play is going to be the highlight of the defensive backs, I would have said, "Uh-oh." <laughs> like I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> now I will say I think Jason Marshall struggled quite a bit. Um, you know, obviously the opening play against Utah, he wasn't there either. 
against the the first touchdown for Tennessee gets beat on the uh, on the on the throw to the corner. You're going to get beat as a corner every once in a while. You don't see often the plays where he's blanketed on people. So I haven't been able to go down and see live so to understand exactly what he's been doing on on, on a game by game basis. But I think Marshall struggled a little bit. Moten hasn't made the 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 contribution that I thought he would and you've still got Kimber and uh and Devin Moore sort of fighting for that cornerback spot over there. Jaden Hill's been really good. Jaden Hill's been really good. Uh, Bud Davis had a good tweet today about his uh, how Jaden Hill, some of the advanced stats on him and how good he's been. So I think individually it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but you know when you get a true freshman step in and starting from day one at safety and not just starting, but playing at a uh, at a potential freshman all SEC level, um, I, I think you got to say it exceeds expectations. All right, that's the defense. Dare I even ask about the special teams? Well, because I don't know what I could say. I'm glad we're not doing grades here because it wouldn't be above a D, I'll tell you that, the special team so far. It has been an ugly, ugly performance. I, I'm not on board with the conversation. From an organizational standpoint, I, I think it might be necessary for Napier to hire an OC. I don't think it's because I, I, I don't think it's because Napier has to hire an OC because he's incapable of it. I think I like we said, gave a lot of compliments for what he's doing with Merch so far, but the special teams area is a real concern. I don't think we've come anywhere close to what we're capable of with these, with these special teams units. There's consistent, again, you referenced the article earlier in the, uh, in the show here, Zach Goodell really went through detailed instance by instance of mistake after mistake on the special teams. You feel like even you, you feel like you can't get a, go through almost one special teams play without a mistake this season it's been tough it's been real tough and the kicking game uh Mihalik was struggling at the end of last year comes into this year continues to struggle five for five out of smack this week uh, this past week so that was a positive so hopefully we get this thing trending in the right direction but i'll tell you what you typically don't see dramatic improvement uh, on special teams throughout the year you kind of get the feel for that early and, and uh it tends to kind of be within the dna of a team at times and I don't I I'm waiting for the game that it's going to cost us will it's going to cost us at some point if we keep making this many mistakes and uh and I, I think Napier's going to have to definitely reevaluate what we're doing on special teams in the offseason yeah I mean look that's that's when you evaluate things right you evaluate yeah. things when the offseason comes you don't make changes now to make changes now is panicking and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense um what I will say is you know we didn't mention this and when we were previewing Kentucky but Barry and Brown's probably one of the best kick returners in the country and he's also now returning punts this year as well he's averaging 33 yards per kick return <laughs> which Lightning means quick. put the which means put the ball in the end zone and get the freaking touchback. So for comparison, ETN's averaging twenty four point eight this or twenty three this year, and averaged twenty four point eight last year. And ETN was a pretty good kickoff returner last year, so he's averaging seven seven more yards per return than ETN did last year, um, and and averaged twenty seven and a half last year. So he's better than he was last year. Um, so yeah, it might may cost him this year. Look, Florida is just 
hemorrhaging points on special teams. That's the reality. They, they've it's not just the field goal kickers. It's the penalties. It's the not having the right guys on the field. It's the not making any sort of game changing play ever. It's getting pinned deep, fielding punts inside your ten. It's bringing out kick returns when the ball comes in right to the end zone. All those different things, which are things that I think a special teams coordinator might be able to help with, but it's too late for that now. So the hope is is that they will normalize a little bit, that the 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 procedural things will get fixed. And, you know, but to expect these guys to do anything above and beyond, I think is is poor expectations. But I expect there to be 11 guys on the field when there's a punt, a kickoff, a field goal attempt, or or any other special teams play. So I can't do anything other than below expectations considering we've struggled to get even at times 10 guys on the field, let alone 11. I feel like there's a Marcus Freeman joke somewhere in there. We can uh, At least we haven't gotten to that extent. Ten guys on the field for the last play. Wolf, rough, <laughs> rough finale there to that game for Marcus Freeman there. Uh, well, that's that's it for tonight, man. Uh, I'll tell you one thing we didn't do. We should do this for the SEC games. I know we didn't do it for McNeese or Charlotte, but let's have your prediction for the Kentucky game. Yeah, man, I I don't have a lot of hope in this one. Now, the good news is I've been wrong every single time this year, especially against the spread. So I'm two and two in my picks, but I'm zero and three against the spread because there wasn't a spread when I looked at the McNeese game. Um, I got Kentucky winning this one, twenty-seven to thirteen. Going away. I, I think Florida's going to have a real tough time moving the ball. I think Kentucky's defense, even though they've played, it, so it really comes down to a question of: Do you believe in Graham Mertz, or is he going to regress to the mean? Do you believe in Florida playing uh, this Florida team on the road? Do you believe that Egwican is that critical to what they do up front? And then do you believe that the competition that, that Kentucky played means that the fact that their defense is the second best defense in the country based on yards per play is a mirage? And I think there is a little bit there that makes me think it's a mirage. But the other part of it is, is that Kentucky's explosive. And I think if, if Kentucky gets ahead, I don't think Florida's got the firepower to come back. Now, look, maybe I'll be proven wrong. They get a big play from Trey Wilson. ETN pops a big one. All of a sudden, this game feels a lot different as Florida sort of sits on the ball and deflates the game and lets the clock run and makes Leary sort of press a little bit and those sorts of things. But I don't think the interceptions from Leary are necessarily reproducible. And, um, you know, I'm not going to trust this team on the road until they show me something different than they showed against Utah. And that was such a catastrophe out there that to expect all of that operational stuff to be fixed, I think is probably short-sighted. So my expectations are there's going to be a couple of those, you know, operational excellence things that aren't, aren't, aren't all that excellent. I think, I think Brown is going to make a big play on special teams. I think Leary's probably going to get through this one with maybe one pick or no picks. And I think Merch is going to come back to earth a little bit because I think Mark Stoops has shown that he will scheme individually for Florida quarterbacks in a way that takes away what they like to do. So all the little short stuff that he was able to get away with against Tennessee or not even get away with that Tennessee was giving him. I think that goes away. I think they're going to force him to throw deep. And like you said, we haven't seen a wide receiver yet who can show the separation to allow him to do that. And even when we've gotten separation, we haven't had time to throw it. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, look, I, I would love to be wrong. I want Florida to win, but I, I think Kentucky's going to win, win pretty convincingly. Yeah. I'm, I'm nervous about this game. I'm nervous about this game. I, I do think Kentucky, which it feels very weird to say that about Kentucky. I think my final thought out of Kentucky last season was like, I really hate that we have to take Kentucky seriously now. I really hate that. I don't enjoy taking them seriously, but unfortunately I do. They've earned my respect. Uh, I look forward to getting back to elite status where we no longer 
have to consider Kentucky much. I don't think Georgia's too worried about them coming in Athens in a couple weeks, but uh, this is a tough matchup for the Gators. I, I think this is a better team than what we saw come in here with the Tennessee team last a couple weeks ago. Uh, th- I think they're more they're more similar to Utah than they are Tennessee in a lot of ways, and I think it's a tough matchup. But I'm hoping I'm hoping we learned our lesson from the Utah game, and we come in there with the game plan centered around ETN, particularly ETN. I, I know I've been saying feed two, feed seven. I think I'm with Will's uh, switch from up thing. Let's feed seven, and we'll get we'll get to his a little bit. We'll feed two a little bit too, but let's make sure ETN is a key part to this game, and we keep managing Graham Mertz with a couple downfield shots mixed in i think the gators can get it done on the road i maybe this is a little more of a hopeful pick but i'm i'm gonna go with florida uh i'm gonna go with florida putting up 27 in this one will we'll go florida because kentucky's gotten off to some slow starts if you go back and look at a couple of their games they have got off to a couple slow starts here if kentucky gets off to a slow start in the offensive side of the ball and florida jumps on it early i think the gators can uh hold on hold on the rest of the night i'm gonna go florida 27 kentucky 17 well, the good news is is that you've hit each pick when you've picked Tennessee and Utah. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're uh, – you've been doing a better job than I have, so hopefully you're right once again. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I, I, I'll say I'm not – I'm not super confident. I, I don't want people running out and putting money on that one, but I, maybe I'm uh, being a little – maybe I'm being a little bit of uh, optimistic here about what I saw against Tennessee is kind of still in my head. But I feel like that if they can stick with that game plan where they're running the football pretty well, uh, we can be tough for Kentucky to manage. We can be tough. All right. Well, that's another episode of the books here for Stand Up and Holler. Will, any final words before we head out? Nah, it's been uh, it's been fun. Actually, I'm not going to be able to watch this one live. My kid has a flag football game, and then my daughter has homecoming, so it's going to be sort of a scattered Saturday. So uh, don't if if I'm not tweeting, there's a reason I'm not watching the game. If I am tweeting, it means that I'm a terrible father, and I'm watching the game on my phone while my kid's playing flag football. So uh, so you'll 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 know how, you'll know where my priorities lie based on the commentary that's coming from my Twitter to from my Twitter feed. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that means you'll be up at uh, three in the morning writing your article and oh, yeah. something like that. Yeah, well, the game's at noon, so you got you got time to you got time to recover there. So that'll be all right. That'll be all right. All right. Well, I guess good luck to your son in his flag football game. Your daughter at homecoming this yeah. weekend. <laughs> Big weekend in the Miles House. <laughs> it turns out that having four of those little rascals ends up uh, crimping crimp your your Saturdays sometimes. But it, <laughs> but, it, but it's it's good, man. It's good. It's it's good to see them growing up and becoming their own people and all that sort of stuff. And and look, the little guy loves football, so uh, so we're going to encourage that. That's good. You got you got to sacrifice short term sacrifice for long term gain. There, got to got to get him hooked. Got to get him hooked. All right. Well, hey, another episode of the books here chance to go four and one up in Lexington on Saturday. Let's hope we get it done for Will Miles. I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week, everybody. Go Gators. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to stand up and holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like, and subscribe our YouTube channel here at read and reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information. And we do ask any things over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.